0: is empty except for one man still driving and striving as fast as he can the sun has gone down and the moon has come up and long ago somebody left with the cup but he's driving and striving and hugging the turns and thinking of someone for whom he still burns he's going the distance he's going for speed
1: welcome to Talking Giants presented by DraftKings I'm your host Bobby Skinner with my co-host Justin Pennick we got our mailbag, our first mailbag of the off season. Our schedule's a little off. We're usually Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but because we had a Thursday night game, it's Friday, Tuesday, Friday. Uh, so we got a we got a good amount of questions. Justin, how are you? How are you doing?
0: Bobby Skinner, yeah, the Thursday night games throwing me off. I want to think it's later in the week than it actually is, but sucks to suck. It's only Monday when we're recording this, but um, I'm feeling interesting about this Giants team and I don't know if we're going to touch on it in this mailbag at all is this motion that I just made with my hands near my near my man boobs was quite interesting if anybody wants to gif it so I'm feeling weirdly blindly optimistic about this Giants team because of my optimistic emotions about this offense how are you
1: I'm not feeling great I, I think <laughs> we're 0-2 and 0-2 as a whole and we can't expect the division to be bad every year that's where i'm at and i'm getting annoyed because i have to have my phone open the reason i have my phone open and you're hearing notifications is because i'm about to read the new patrons we got mm. logan downing he's really downing the mood since he's been a patron nothing good's happened since he's joined wow dk uh stands for donkey kong or DraftKings presented by DraftKings. we got andrew no last name just bland old andrew mm-hmm. we got cheyenne Dietz. Maybe like our third or fourth like female patron. So how about that, Cheyenne? We have
0: a we have a YouTube subscriber and commenter whose name is Cheyenne, and I I wonder if there's any relation. I think that's
1: probably Cheyenne. We got Jim Shea, Shea's Concrete, Rich Oval. We got stylish uh, llama. I just don't think uh, it's Komoteyama. Bradley Hines, Hines fifty seven, Hines Ward. Remember that when that one Boston radio person said that Julian Edelman is the, has the same Hall of Fame case as Heinz Ward, and Heinz uh, Ward has like fifty more touchdowns. Huh. John M. Um, M. and the M stands for miserable uh, uh. Tahal uh, Nike and Sean Alisi. Justin, who are these uh,
0: people who have only been they we've we're, we haven't won a game since they've joined? Well, well. There's a lot of patrons who haven't witnessed a win since they've signed up to be a Patreon member. And Bobby Skinner's wearing a sweatshirt right now. Guarantee it's like 85 degrees in Florida, and he's talking about being miserable. And you can be miserable with us, but most notably celebrate victory when you come hang out with us on Sunday as we react to the games. You can be miserable or celebrate victory with us when you go to patreon.com slash talking giants. $2 a month plus some other tiers if you want to support. $2 a month, patreon.com slash talking giants. Bobby will send you a free magnet. And you get entered into some shirt raffles. And you get to hang out with us as we record the podcast. Patreon.com slash Talking Giants.
1: All right. Before we get into the mailbag, did you see that Kenny Galladay admitted that he was yelling at Jason Garrett? I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I mean, we talked about it on the pod on Friday. And it's like, you know, yelling happens, you know. Like, it's, like that's fine. Um, You know, it, it's, you'd rather not be yelling because you're doing good. But, uh. You went. I went back and watched the videos. Like I think he's yelling at Garrett, and and he basically admitted that. So, we'll see. And we're going to talk about uh Garrett and Jones and all of that. And anything else that we need to touch up on before we uh we send it away? No. All right, take it away, Steve from Blue's Clues.
0: Meltdown. The mail's here. Come on, bye guys. Here's the mail, it never fails. It makes me want to wag my tail. When it comes, I want
1: to wail. Mail! Thanks, Steve from Blue's Clues, who became a... Justin, let's get into the mail. Steve from Blue's Clues has like kind of made a comeback since we did our last mailbag episode, too,
0: by the way. Some are saying that it is because of Talking Giants that Steve was able to make that comeback.
1: I, hey, he's a big part of our show. Oh, I have the new Steve from Blue School
0: stickers, by the way. Oh, our friend Julian made those. Yes. All
1: right, Justin, let's get into the mail.
0: Get into the mail. Find those stickers as I ask a pair of three questions to kick off our mailback session. So Benjamin at B S Colo. I'm guarantee it's just B Scolo, and I put the S in there for no reason. Big Rutgers fan, go are you. Whose performance thus far is more concerning, Leonard Williams or James Bradbury? Then Ben Butler asked at Ben Butler 7. Has there been an increase of double teams on Leo, which has resulted in him getting less pressure? Or does it show the impact of Tomlinson had on this D line and that Dexter, Danny, Austin Johnson aren't the same caliber of player that Tomlinson was? And then, final question that's paired with these three. Mark Messora Jr. at Mark Messora is losing Dalvin Thompson. The reason for the defensive regression, was he crucial to Leonard Williams season last year?
1: So I put all these together. Cause I think it's one big Leonard Williams conversation. And honestly, you know, the question is Bradbury or Leonard Williams, who are you more disappointed with? I think Leonard Williams is the player I'm most disappointed with on the entire New York giants roster is Leonard agree. Williams. You know, And even going back and watching the film, I'm not even disappointed in James Bradbury for week two. Patrick Graham kind of put him in a position to be screwed. They were playing him very far off, and I do expect that to be changed. So going back and looking at the film, you see James Bradbury getting beat, but then it's like, man, he goes put in bad situations. And then he made that interception, so I don't even really feel bad about Bradbury. But Leonard Williams has zero sacks. One tackle for a loss. Two pressures. I mean, he has been a big, fat zero so far this season, and we are counting on him. And I don't think it's like, oh, he you know, got his contract and he got lazy. Like, Leonard Williams has always been a productive player. He Last year was a career year, but he's always been a really productive player. And it's just he has not made an impact but with stats or even when you're just watching him.
0: Yeah. You know, the crazy thing is, is that he should have two sacks on the season. Um, he should have had a sack on Teddy Bridgewater last week, and he should have had a sack um, on Heineke this past weekend, you know, when he Heineke was, like, rolling out of the pocket. I think the Heineke one was more of a bad miss than the Bridgewater one because the Bridgewater one, he was already out of the pocket. He already had momentum, so Bridgewater gave him a stiff arm. Heineke wasn't even moving that much. He got moving after Leonard Williams missed the sack. So, but even besides, like, let's just say, let's just say Leonard Williams comes down with those two sacks and those would be two impact plays, but still this past week, he had no QB hits. He had no pressures. At least last week, I think he had some three pressures and he had two QB hits this this past weekend's Washington. It was nothing. And Bobby, you're, you're completely right. You know, the, the next gen stats kind of back up Uh, the cushion stats with Terry McLaurin was quite large. And even you looked at the touchdown at which Terry McLaurin scored, Last Thursday against Washington, it's like, well, we're on the 20-yard line. They're on the 15-yard line. Why are you playing James Bradbury back more than 10 yards past the sticks? It just made zero sense. I'm almost at a point where if a talented skill position player, let's say this Sunday, like Calvin Ridley or Kyle Pitts, right? If a talented skill position player goes up on the sideline and makes a contested catch or a contested grab over one of our corners, I'm almost like okay with it. it's like tip your hat you got him we'll get the pass deflection next time. but the fact that we're just getting killed by this death of a thousand cuts approach because we're playing off ball it's like it's almost like a a flashback to 2019 with James Betcher. the fact that that's how we're losing is not alarming but it's it's frustrating and that scheme whereas Leonard Williams just not being productive is Leonard Williams not being productive.
1: Yeah, and, and it's also, you know, like Leonard Williams is the best pass rusher on this team right now. Yeah, it's you know, and to the be. pass <laughs> rush has been the biggest issue for the defense more so than this. Like they have not been able to generate a pass rush at all. Yeah, and our standards for it were low, and they are not meeting it. Like the pass rush has been really bad. Ogilari's made a play here and there. O'Shane Zimenez has done zilch. Yep. Lorenzo Carter has really done nothing in the pass rush game. Dexter Lawrence hasn't done it, and then Leonard Williams, who is expected to not have sacks every game, but to be pr- pressure the QB, get him out of the pocket, just has not done that. You know, where James Bradbury, it's not his fault the way they aligned in the past two games, and I expect Patrick Graham to make those changes, but what Patrick Graham can't do is try and scheme up pressure all game long and blitz, blitz, blitz. Like, at, at some point... You're not going to be get there with four, uh, t- like you know, be one of the best in the league. But you, you have to get there on some reps, and they're not just yeah. they're just not getting there on any reps with four. You had the Aziz Ojulari sack and like one other play, and that was where Leonard Williams missed the sack. Yeah, you know, was that play where Ojulari forced uh, Heineke up in the pocket, and they just have not been able to generate pressure. And they've not even, are low expectations for generating pressure; they're not meeting.
0: Yeah, I will say it's a little bit more justified for the pass rush not being there week two versus week one. Week one, they deserve all the heat in the world because Teddy Bridgewater was holding on to the ball. His average time to throw was over three seconds. Taylor Heineke's average time to throw this past weekend was 2.44 seconds. That was the second fastest in the NFL this past weekend. So I, I very much can understand. I'm not going to fault to pass rush if a quarterback's consistently... Part of that with was rid- soft zone too. Yeah, and getting rid of the ball in less than two and a half seconds. The main problem... I don't know if it's going to come up in this in this mailbag, but the main problem for the Giants' defense this past weekend was yards after the catch. They allowed a total of 144 yards after the catch. And their average yards after the catch total last year as a defense was some like 54 yards. And that was like middle of the pack, probably a little bit below average. Bobby, last year, the Texans allowed the most yards after the catch per reception – I'm sorry, the most – Yards after the catch per game on a per-game basis. And they allowed, I believe it was 142 yards per game on average, yards after the catch. So the Giants against Washington, if you go by the 2020 standards in total, they were bad. Like, that is that is the worst that you can get in the National Football League in terms of allowing yards after the catch. So, again, the 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 approach of the death by the thousand cuts kind of got to the Giants again. And, you know, do you have anything to say about that before we maybe even move to this Dalvin... I want to talk about this whole Dalvin thing too, because so many people are talking about Dalvin Thompson.
1: Yeah, last thing I'll say on it is the soft zone is something that it's there's a, they're, they're going to play a good amount of zone, but James Bradbury shouldn't be playing ten yards off. He should, and it doesn't mean you have to, you know, play press man coverage. You know, it doesn't mean that. Even though they had success running man coverage this past week, uh, where versus Denver they really didn't have a lot of, of success doing it, but Bradbury should be playing up. You shouldn't be playing him that far off, especially when there was no hard, flat defender. So that's that's what I'll say. That's my biggest critique of Patrick Graham, is that they are, they're not playing James Bradbury like he's a top cornerback, and he is.
0: Yeah, I agree. And even Adoree Jackson, too. Um, where I actually thought previously on the stats report video last week, I actually thought that Graham was running more man because his blitz rate was so high. When that's actually not the case. And I, you know, D- Dan Duggan um, was able to get his hands on the coverage stats, which coverage rates, that's not th- something that's public. That's something that I'm basically relying on Seth Walder, who the, you know, the big heads, the media heads, they all have access to, I think, next gen data that the general public doesn't have access to. And coverage rates is one of those things that the general public doesn't have access to. And Dan Duggan basically said, and, I'll, and I talk about it more on the stats report, but Dan Duggan basically said the Giants defense. In terms of their cover three rates and their cover two rates, they're running it the same as they were last year, where it's not like they're running more man and guys are getting beat by man. No, they're they're running cover three and cover two the same amount as they were last year. And I would say them running cover two, at least looking at the explosive plays the Giants have allowed, them running cover two has hurt them more than running cover three. Yep. Um. The Dalvin part. Dalvin part.
1: I disagree. I think it's. it's I, I yeah. think we see the defense not playing good, and it's like, okay, what's changed? And it's Dalvin. Now I will say there is times where you watch and you miss Dalvin. You know, Danny Shelton is, you know, he's not eating double teams the way that Danny Shelton can. And we always knew that he wasn't going to be able to pull off the athletic plays that Dalvin was, where, you know, both those guys can start the pop on the O line and eat up those double teams, but Dalvin can finish those plays. We were never expecting Shelton to do that, but Shelton's like he's not being. He's not eating up those double teams, so. You definitely, there's times where you miss Dalvin, but um, I don't think it has any correlation to Leonard Williams. In fact, maybe I would even say BJ Hill not being here might have more correlation to Leonard Williams than Dalvin because, you know, yeah. BJ Hill was that pass-rushing defensive tackle.
0: Yeah, where now the Giants are forced to run more two edge rush or two defensive lineman sets versus being confident in running those three defensive lineman sets. You know, they would run, Bobby, last year, they even run deep three defensive linemen sets a ton on third down because their interior defensive line room. It was stacked and it's just not that stacked anymore in terms of the ability of the pass rushers in the interior defensive line room, because Danny Shelton and Austin Johnston are both these nose tackles where you don't feel confident in them rushing the passer. Uh, Danny Shelton does not look good. I'm sorry. You know, I, I'm not, I'm not a film. I'm not a film buff, but you know, every time I watch him and every time my eyes on him, he's getting moved off the ball. I, I was never expecting him to be this athlete where he's making plays and he's making tackles for losses. But he, should, he even with how big he is, he's getting moved off the ball. And Austin Johnson has looked a world better than he has. I'm not happy with Danny Sheldon.
1: Yeah, me either. I mean, he can turn it around, but he hasn't done what yeah. we expected him to do.
0: Right. But the errors on this defense, final point, the errors on this defense, it's because they're allowing yards after the catch and... The secondary that used to make plays on the football when the ball was in the air, and by the time it got to the skill position players, and they would force an incompletion, those problems are not cor- They're they're not as a result of losing Dalvin Tomlinson. They're okay. not getting killed in the run game, you know. And Taylor Heineke got rid of the ball in two point four four seconds week two, and Dalvin Tomlinson was never. Uh, racking up pressures, racking up QB hits, racking up sacks. The, I mean,
1: we th- looked up the numbers. Almost all of Leonard Williams' sacks came with, like, Dalvin Thomas and off the field. Correct. I think, like, two or three came with Dalvin on the Correct. field. All right. All right. Week two of football is in the books, and now it's time to review the tape and get ready. We've been reviewing the tape. Get ready for week three with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off another action-packed week, DraftKings is giving new customers $150 instantly when they bet $1 on any football game. Listen up, because you don't want to miss this. Head to DraftKings Sportsbook app now and place a bet of $1 on any week uh, one game to receive $150 in free bets instantly. And sportsbooks are not available in your state, DraftKings still has huge cash prices up for grabs all season long with their daily fantasy contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at m- millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code JOHNBOY to receive $150 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game. That's promo code JOHNBOY this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook. Details, gambling problem, call one hundred gambler or in Indiana, one 800 with it. All right, next question.
0: Yeah, all right. So for all those people that were getting mad at us that we don't talk about the defense enough because this is an offensive league, you can suck it because we just spent 15 minutes on it. Suck it. All right, Louis A. Angioleo. I think I just said that wrong. I don't have my glasses on. Angio Leo. I think I said that Angelo. Right. And There you go. That We just could say that. At NY Lewis 12. NY underscore Lewis 12. Is it possible to move one of pair or solder to guard and have them both on the field? Or do you believe Bredesen could be the best option there until Lemieux returns? And if one of them has success at guard, do you think Lemieux can ultimately lose a spot? And then also Westlock at Wessie Westicles, one of my favorite Twitter users. How would you rank our current offensive line members, one through eight, on confidence, performance, potentials, Andrew Thomas, the lone bright spot?
1: Okay, so... The basis of this question is Matt Parrott playing guard, and he's been he practiced there today or yesterday when you're listening to this. Now, I wouldn't get too crazy into that because right now, their only backup offensive linemen are Matt Parrott and Matt Scura. You know, so some I mean, they had David Moa working at guard and at at some reps in practice, you know. So I wouldn't um, freak out about that. (laughs) Yeah, you didn't see that, Doug? (laughs)
0: David Moe is a, a defensive lineman. For those who don't know, yeah,
1: Solder absolutely not. And then Shane Lemieux in this question, I think Shane Lemieux is done for the year.
0: No, everything's
1: pointing to it. Without like them trying, it seems like he's <sighs> done for the year. Um, which sucks because he was he was he looked improved in the twenty snaps that he got to start the season. So, Parrott moving to guard, I think he should start at right tackle, but. I don't think it's that crazy, and he did it a little bit at UConn. You know, uh, Clapback Sports, you know, to uh, p- uh, you know, like pointed out, like he played a little bit of guard when he first went to UConn. He doesn't struggle with bull rushes, you know, and his biggest issue is opening up his hips. He doesn't really have to deal with that at the guard spot as Damn. a pass rusher, and once he's locked on, guys, like he's just, like he's beautiful. It's that it's just that initial punch opening the hips, but once like Matt Parrott is in front of you and has his hands on you, it's good. And you're like, well, he doesn't punch grit. Well, guess what? You don't have to have the greatest punch at guard. And his arms are so long that it would make up for it compared to uh, to other guys. And you say, well, stronger defensive tackles could get into him and bull rush him. Maybe. But I, like, I wouldn't really, like really the only thing you could say against it would be the frame. Which is like, that's just a big frame than guard. But I also remember people like telling us, no, Nick Gates cannot play center because of, you know, he's six foot five and a half or six, six. Like, so I would think he should start at right tackle. You know, but, like, I kind of would be intrigued of it as a pass blocker. And, honestly, as a run blocker, like Matt Perritson, improvement over Nate Solder, and he might be a better run blocker than Ben Bredesen, too. He won't be better than a guy like Shane Lemieux or Will Hernandez. But, like, I don't know. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. Like, I'm kind of intrigued by it.
0: Yeah, especially because he's an athlete. Um, and if there's... He can pull well.
1: He pulled at UConn a ton.
0: Yeah, if there's certain issues that he can't fix a guard and putting him at, uh, excuse me, that he can't fix a tackle and putting him at guard would mask it. And you're, you know, we're, we may never look at Matt Parrott as oh he's going to turn into an elite awesome guard, but if he could be serviceable and if that's the way that you can save the draft pick, because at this point, Bobby, at this point, after seeing two weeks of Nate Solder and the fact that Matt Parrot didn't even rotate in there, it, it that's damning. It, it's, it's pretty damning. and, you know, the John, you know, a lot of people said the Giants should have done that with Eric flowers way before another team did. And I you know the Miami dolphins and the, you know, Washington football team, they put Eric flowers at guard and, you know, he, he's still rolling around the NFL somewhere and he's playing. So if they got to do it, especially cause they need to out of necessity, then, then go ahead and do it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I would, I would try it. I don't. Like I think he would be a, I, I'm pretty confident he'd be a good pass blocking guard. And you be like, well, the height. Like I, I don't know. I could get. I think there's bigger issues than that. Like I know everyone's gonna come out like, oh, it's just not a guard frame. It's not a guard. Okay, okay. But you know what? We this isn't a cookie cutter league. You know, not everything yeah. fits perfectly in the way. Like you know, I mean, Ben Cleveland's a six foot six guard and 350 pounds. Like we like him. Um, so it's not wouldn't be perfect, but I would. I would explore that opportunity and see how it looks. Yeah. Um, I
0: also think so much of our offense is going to be out of the shotgun for the remainder of the year. Because I think this Giants offense is finally realizing things that work. Where most of their snaps and most of the plays came out of the shotgun against Washington this past weekend. So, Saquon Barkley runs better out of the shotgun. Daniel Jones throws better out of the shotgun. So, that's further separation that you have at the snap of the ball. With from guard to quarterback, if that's something that you really care about. So,
1: but the last point is that I think that he's practicing at guard this week because they they have to they're going to sign somebody by time the games, yeah, start Sunday. They will sign some type of offensive lineman, whether it's calling up Corey Cunningham or Barton or um, bringing back Slade or Wiggins or or someone from another practice squad. There, there will be someone signed by then.
0: I also don't want them to waste time. If they think that this is a realistic option, then do it right. He
1: hasn't. He's. I mean, he hasn't practiced at guard in the NFL until t- yesterday.
0: At least pr- start practicing him there further. Like, don't just sign somebody off the street to take like those second string reps, and then ha- continue to just have Matt Parrott sit on the bench. You know what I mean?
1: Matt Parrot should start at right tackle. Nate Solder does. And yeah. I'm going to talk about Nate Solder a little bit when we get to our run game question. Um, Wes, uh Wes's question, the one through eight. I'm going to go quick through mine. Sure. And I'm including Lemieux. Let's just pretend Lemieux's healthy, since he's one of the eight right now. I would go Thomas, Lemieux, Hernandez, Bredesen, Paird, Price, Skura, Soldier.
0: That sounds Thomas, right.
1: Thomas is the really the one bright spot. Lemieux, he looked good, and I think he could improve. Hernandez is that baseline. Bredesen, there's some hope there, but he's not better than Hernandez right now. Paird is just potential. Price, I'm kind of out on. Skura could be a serviceable player, and Soldier's
0: he's done Fair. Yeah. All right. Next question. All right. Next question is coming from Rahul at R. Bajaj 0413. Look at that. Can you talk more about the run game in general? Like I watched the O-line breakdown and as much as Saquon's injury is to blame, it seemed like Gallman just had better hole slash schemes to get those three to six yard gains while Barkley gets hit before the line of scrimmage 75% of the time. It feels like, and then Tim Coffey is, can you please explain the zone run scheme and talk about why this O line isn't good at it?
1: All right. So save any Saquon takes you have for our Gallaudet versus Saquon question later. Okay. Sure. Um. So I think this is a good question by Tim Coffey Cause it's like, we talk about like they tried to the run a zone uh, scheme last year. It didn't work. They switched to a power gap screen. I think a lot of people just like, you know, don't kind of like know that so what zone is is essentially you're blocking them like the place to the right you're blocking the gap to your right and what it does is it creates a lot of single blocks like you, you like one-on-one blocks you know and the double teams aren't meant to move a guy they're meant to move to the next player in the uh, you know in the in the second level um, so they're tougher blocks to su- sustain but when it's done right it's beautiful you know and it gives running backs more options you know where this the gap scheme it's very much like this is the hole you're running through Um, and the Giants have been trying to do some zone stuff, but it just has not been working. Um, part of that is Saquon's, um, not willingness to not just go, go, go. But anyways, um, so they're just tougher blocks to sustain. Um, and one reason the Giants can't do it right now is because of Nate Solder. Because he's either the front side, where on the front side, he just can't sustain those blocks. He doesn't know how to set it. He can't get, you know, get his hips around on the outside zone. And he doesn't set a good edge. Um. You know, when you know, uh, he doesn't get any push when he is inside zone and on the backside, whether it's him or tight ends, they are being moved down and there's closing gaps up because they're just he's not like he's getting pushed down like crazy. And so, what the Giants have done, they've you know, they did it a lot towards the end of last year. They're still trying to do some zone stuff because they feel like that fits Saquon better. The gap stuff is pulling a lot more, pulling, um, down blocks like it's about, it's about winning with angles a true double teams, you know, like moving to the next level. And the giants run like a play called duo where it's like, you're trying to get as many double teams as possible, but it's also very much like, this is the gap that you are going through on this play or on duo. It's like, you're going up and if the linebacker is left unblocked, you, you, uh, is is it aggressive? You hit the hole. If not, you bounce outside. So it's, um, basically those are the differences, but right, but the giants don't have the offensive lineman right now to run zone. If you know, Andrew Thomas and Shane Lemieux have the ability Hernandez could a little bit, um, but like
0: Price, Solder, uh, they just don't have the guys to do it. The only play that's really working in the running game is using Caden Smith as like a lead blocker. Yeah, power-o. That's, that's the only it's the only play that's working. Yeah,
1: it's where they pull and they trap one the defensive end and then have Caden Smith as... As a lead blocker, you know, as that fullback role. Yeah. Because they're not really using Penny as a fullback at all this year. Or so far. You know, where last year he got real fullback reps besides the, you know, the fullback handoff at third and one.
0: Yeah. And it's tough. I mean, and so now we're talking about, you know, they they went out of the shotgun so much week two, which I'm happy with. Then you're talking about, well, the the impact of the fullback goes down slightly. Unless you're talking about third and short situations, which they gave some fullback dives to Elijah Penny, which... Um, you know which 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 worked on some third and short situations and third and short is Giants have typically kind of struggled with that in, in years past. So, um, Saquon actually had an efficient game, which uh, I, I I guess I'll I'll, I'll save that.
1: Yes, yeah, save it. Um, Lemieux missing is is a bigger deal, and also Gallman, to his credit and to his um, not to to against him was very much like I'm going to find the smallest like space the first hole and I'm going to hit it and I'm not going to try and break big plays at all I'm just going to get my four or five yards and push the pile yeah um some people like that but also it's like he wasn't a good receiver he fumbled the ball at times wasn't a great like he didn't do the other things good enough to be that type of running back for what the Giants wanted as a backup to Saquon he needed volume and as Saquon Barkley's backup you're never going to get volume
0: right all right next question coming from Glock Roach Jones seemed to play great last game, but what are some things he can further improve on? One thing I noticed was his ball placement on some routes was behind. Example, one of the Galday passes, the pass to Shep on that very last drive as well.
1: There was a couple of passes that were a little behind Shep. Um, so that would that would be one. Like, you know, you know, you can always be more accurate. Um here's something, and and I remember Orlowski talking about this. Remember it was that third and one play versus the Cardinals and it was when they punted afterwards and we were, I was very pissed that they punted because they were down by a couple scores and they ran stick to the left side and Caden Smith was open. Remember that? And then, but Jones threw a, like threw it to shepherd deep. And yeah. I like, I like that. Cause I was like, you know what? We're stop trying to dink and duck on the field. Like go for it or go, Orlowski said something and something I kind of agree with is Jones tries to put perfect placement on every ball. Like and the it, and it's good for him, you know, like he was, you know, the, you know, the top most efficient deep passer last year because of that. But with a guy like Kenny Galladay, you don't need to get it perfect where he's extending out, you know, like put it, take a little bit off of it with Kenny Galladay, let him adjust, let him make that play. You don't have to always, you don't have to make the play for Kenny Galladay, like the play to, you know, the play on the right sideline, the Galladay, it was extremely accurate but there was like no, it was like no, like no adjustment for Galladay, and then the little bit of pass interference or like chug that they didn't call. It's like well, even if that plays a little bit behind him, Galladay can adjust his body, turn towards it, and, and make one of those catches. So that would be something. The Slayton one, you know, like it was a uh, Slayton should have caught it, but he could have put that a little less on there. Um, so those would be my thing. Do you have anything? Because I actually just want to talk about Daniel Jones in general with this.
0: That was one of his best career games. And I understand, Bobby, you're a big box score guy. Yeah, he didn't throw for 350 yards. He didn't throw for five touchdowns. But when you look at his value in terms of what else was working around him, nobody besides Sterling Shepard was working around Daniel Jones on Thursday. That's hiding blemishes on this offense is their chemistry. Yeah, and <laughs> the fact that Saquon Barkley is not being used in the receiving game. Saquon Barkley had 12 carries for 16 yards besides the 144-yard play, and we didn't even score on that drive. You know, nothing is happening around Daniel Jones that's helping him. There's no yards after the catch, and I guess this this can transition to your Jones point. Um, You know, 1.9 yards after the catch per completion on Thursday night, and Daniel Jones threw for 249 yards, and how many attempts did he have? So it was him. It was him and his ball placement. That made everything work, and he had a CPOE of, like, plus seven, which was one of the best of his career.
1: Yeah, he had a great game. I just think, like, you look at the Tampa game, that game was better, and you can talk about box score, but it's like those games were better. Um, like, like, it was better than the Lions game where he threw four touchdowns, you know. Um, and even you know better than the Jets game where he also threw four touchdowns. But, like, I didn't think it was – the Tampa game, there was – like, that touchdown the to shepherd in the corner in his own was impeccable placement. You yep. know, the throw to – like, there was – like he was he played really awesome in that game. Yeah. Jones he looks like he's a better player, you know. And this is kind of where, you know, you are kind of happy with the offense a little bit is this is the issue. You mentioned the yak. That's like those separation numbers and stuff like and that, those separation numbers are so flawed. It's it's not a value of how good a receiver is. Him and Sterling Shepard's connection is is hiding blemishes. Why? Because there's these routes that don't breed yak. And, but Shepard, like, Jones is anticipating really well. Shepard is breaking them off, making, like, tough catches. And it is, like, them connecting on 84% of their passes is hiding, like, the issues with this offense. Like, Garrett ran less stick, but they ran curl, 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 curl. We're even talk about Kadarius Tony. The touchdown of to Darius Slayton was all curls, and Daniel Jones audibled out to it into a deep pass. You know, so Daniel Jones taking a little more control this offense. You know the defensive pass interference on Kenny Galladay? That was stick. That was stick. And then they had the go on the tag, backside tag. I guarantee you, Garrett, when that ball was snapped and Jones didn't throw to the stick, he was like, what the hell's going on? And then Jones throws it to day, and they call the DPI. Like Jones is kind of taking the offense into his control a little more. You know, where he's like, "I," uh, you know, like this, there's stuff that's not working, you know, and you saw some of the issues when they ran the all curls and stuff like that is not an efficient offense. Now, Jones played well, and he completed a lot of those passes, but you can't expect him to be perfectly timed every single week. But he is getting better. He's manipulating the pocket better. I think now that Andrew Thomas has been good, he's a lot better at manipulating the pocket when his front side is bad compared to his play. Like If you put Andrew Thomas at right tackle and Nate Solder at left tackle, I think Daniel Jones looks a lot worse right now. Um, you know, he is, I seem to be, you know, taking control of the offense a little more. So he looks good. I think he's a better player, which means this offense, it will be better than last year. They'll score more points. But at the same, like it's, there's still the same offensive issues in this game. Like awesome that they added more read option and stuff like that. Like good on that. There was more stuff that was good. Um, but at the same time it's like there's a lot of the ugly head like the the ugliness of this offense is still there, you know. They didn't totally change the offense last week.
0: I mean, you're you're talking about why this offense is cap is is at average and not above average, where even though through the first two weeks of the season they've been an above average offense in terms of how they've moved the ball. You know, they're not putting up over 30 points. You know, they're not going crazy in terms of producing, you know, 400 plus yards even though I think they did have they had close to 400 yards on Thursday. Um, so they're not going crazy, but you just outlined why this offense is going to be average at best and why, at least in theory, why the offense being average and the offense being like they were on Thursday, why that should lead to a winning Giants team. But it's this defense that is the the, the gray cloud over everybody right now. And that that's not a... It's My issue not is a, I'm
1: not happy with average, though. Like, I want Daniel Jones to be great, and he can't be great in this offense. No,
0: he can't. But really, why... Can't we continue to expect Daniel Jones to not be perfect because we you already did outline He's some He's going to throw throws.
1: interceptions this year, you know?
0: But also, why not expect Daniel Jones to be what Tony Romo was for that Cowboy offense? And I'm not saying Daniel Jones is going to be Tony, Tony Romo because Tony Romo was magnificent. But why not expect that same type of performance where Jones is taking over the offense because we saw it Pre injury, and i I said this over the offseason that week six to twelve stretch where the Giants offense was working their way up to average, and then Boomy gets hurt during that Cincinnati game right off the bye, and it kind of ruined any momentum that the offense had. But why not expect Daniel Jones to get better, to manipulate the pocket better with better protection on his blind side, and be a dude? Like th- I do, th- that's I not do a, expect that's, that. But you're 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 almost painting it and you're making it sound like it's a bad thing, but it's like no, that's a good thing. Like we should expect the quarterback to do that.
1: Because there's a fixable issue to make it better than that.
0: Right, but we can't do that. And, and there's season no fixable issue. Why I'm so okay with it and why I'm so like invested in all right, Jones just do it, bud. You got to put the team on your back because I the time to do that was January to fire Jason Garrett I know, and not I know. now. You I know? know.
1: I know. It's just I it's frustrating.
0: I know it is. I know it is. All right. Let me read this ad and then we'll then we'll get then we'll kind of go through some of these other questions. So, autumn is in the air, the pumpkins are in the patch, and our friends at Manscaped, they are here to make sure you don't carve your pumpkins when you're grooming, if you know what I'm saying. Ball joke. Make sure you're keeping things fresh this fall with the leaders in male grooming and their brand new fourth generation performance package. Boys and ladies, if you're listening, if you wanna. Get your guys a Halloween gift. Going to see that movie. Can't wait. Halloween kills. Get ready for a cuffing season like no other. Ready to take the leap into fall with Manscaped? Question mark. Join the 2 million men worldwide using Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code GIANTS. Brand new performance package 4.0. Includes the lawnmower 4.0. If you're looking to cozy up this fall... This trimmer is essential. Their fourth generation trimmer. They feature a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents. Thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. Nobody likes nicks, cuts or anything. It also gives you the ability to turn 4000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. Plus, it's waterproof, Bobby Skinner. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their performance package 4.0. Manscaped boxers and the Shed travel bag. They'll get you comfy on the way home and on the go this season. So get 20% off plus free shipping with the code giants at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code giants at manscaped.com. Make your balls a priority this fall. Choose manscaped. Your balls will thank you. That is 20% off plus free shipping with the code giants at manscaped.com. Thank you to manscaped.
1: All right. Next question.
0: Next question. Chris at Chris Kennedy underscore 25. In these first two games, what player outside of Andrew Thomas and Sterling Shepard has impressed you guys the most? we'll answer that part first. And then I'll say the second part
1: besides Daniel Jones. Now I know he got beat on a big play on, on Thursday, but that is, you know, that's some of the downfalls of man coverage when you don't get pressure. Take crowd. looks like the clear inside linebacker next, uh, number two, next to Blake Martinez. He's playing fast. He looks stronger. Um, and there's being more asked of him. You know, the Giants are playing a lot less plus one boxes this year because they're doing the two high safety stuff more so. They're rolling down out of it and maybe playing some cover three. But, like, their fronts are a lot less. And that asks more out of your linebackers. And it may be, and it's why Blake Martinez hasn't looked as dominant as he did last year because there's being a lot more asked out of those guys. So, Tay Crowder would be one. And then on offense, Caden Smith. Caden Smith, you know, they used him in the passing game more than flat routes, and you saw, like, he caught a pass on four verts and 21 yards, and as a blocker, you see all the big plays in there. They're usually sprung by Caden Smith, so I think Caden Smith has uh, looked really good.
0: Yeah, Caden Smith is a phenomenal blocker. Um, He should be using the receiving game more, and then when Evan Ingram comes back, will we involve him more since the first two games our tight ends haven't been thrown to, or is that just Garrett's scheme? I do think that... The way Caden Smith caught that ball on a crossing route last week and even Kyle Rudolph catching a ball in the intermediate part. Well, not really. It was past the sticks. Kyle Rudolph catching a ball in the middle of the field past the sticks. Lining those guys up as wide receivers, I think Evan, we should do the same thing with Evan Ingram. Like, none of this stick stuff, hands in the ground for Evan Ingram. Every play, he should just be lined up out wide. Every play.
1: Give him crossers. We don't run freaking crossers. It pisses me off so bad. Give we Evan Ingram crossing Smith. routes.
0: Did it with Caden Smith, and it was a big play. So, uh, there you go.
1: So, yeah. All right, next question.
0: Next two questions. Sign Bortles. Okay. What's more likely against Atlanta? A Saquon Barkley breakout game or a Kenny Galladay breakout game? And then Danny Pendergast asked, who will have a bigger day against the Falcons, Saquon or Kenny Galladay?
1: My my answer is easily Kenny Galladay. I mean, he had six catches, 114 yards versus Atlanta last year. Can I say something? I'm not disappointed with Galladay really so far. You know, like week one, the usage was bad. But this past week, I wasn't too mad about it. I It could have been more. There was one time, you know, I I outlined in the film review where Daniel Jones should have thrown the ball to him. Not in that final drive of the game. Second to last drive of the game where people were like, well, look, he's open on the backside." It's like, yeah, but that's not part of his read. Um, You know, and that's the issue with all curls is that you're not reading. You're not reading uh, going through progressions. You're reading the defense pre-snap, picking a side and going. Anyways. He had eight targets in the last game, and if nine, if you include a defensive pass interference, one was on that right sideline where he didn't catch it, and he had another drop on the RPO in uh, in the red zone. You know, so I do I'm not worried about that. I think no. Kenny Galladay is going to have those big. Like I actually week two, I was all right with Kenny Galladay's usage. There could be more, but I was fine with it. I wasn't. I don't. I don't look at week one. Definitely was like they had one target through three quarters. That was unbelievably ridiculous. Um, yeah. But this past week, I was fine with the way that he was used, and it yeah. helped. And it helps, and it's helping out Darius Slayton, something we talked about. And now Slayton's had some drop issues, but just as far as like getting open and making big plays, Slayton's been that guy. He should I mean he should have, you know, he had the forty-two yarder versus uh, Denver. You know, he had the touchdown this past week. He should have had another touchdown. Um, like Slayton has been uh, a benefactor of it, and Shepard has looked that even Shepard looked really good last year. He looks better this year.
0: Yes, and there was a nineteen-yard, um, you know almost an explosive play that went to Sterling Shepard this past week where Washington ran a lot of cover one. Safety
1: high, safety high. Yep, Yep.
0: Washington ran a lot of cover one, and there was a play where cover one, that safety, even though he was shadowing towards Shepard's side of the field to start, Post snap, that safety goes, and he rolls up to Kenny Galladay, and it leaves the middle of the field wide open for Sterling Shepard. So, yeah, I mean, We're talk the,
1: about that play when we talk about Tony too.
0: The presence of Kenny Galladay, you know, it's uh, it's here at times, even when he's not making a catch. And I think there's been some super overreactions on Twitter as to, oh, he wasn't worth it; should have brought back Dalvin. Saw one of those today that that made me upset. And really, what it what it comes down to, Bobby, is. I think Daniel Jones, and you mentioned this earlier about Daniel Jones, you know, wanting to put the perfect ball and wanting to put the ball in in like the best of spots. Because Kenny Galladay is not a wide receiver that's built on separation, and also Jason Garrett's system is not built on wide receivers getting separation. So, you know, it's a it's a beautiful disaster right there. Even when Kenny Galladay is not open, Daniel Jones needs to learn that he is open. And that is where the chemistry between wide receiver and quarterback comes in and why I think it's okay that it's taking time for the, for that relationship to form. If Kenny Galladay
1: fill your deal too, you know, like,
0: yeah. And if, if Kenny Galladay had these two games with a full summer with Daniel Jones, I'd be a little bit more concerned, but the fact that he didn't have a full summer, they haven't had a lot of reps together. I'm, and he's working his way in where there are like that play action RPO, little post route towards the middle of the field that's been the majority of the plays that he's gotten involved and i'm okay with that you know that is a chain mover within itself and if you can have three three or four of those in a game that's three or four first downs and then as we'll go along we'll get you more involved in the vertical passing game which that's the hope where you can be that contested catch king that we signed you to do so that i'm okay with that yeah so that's
1: our kenny Galladay talk Saquon Barkley, I know you're going to say he looked he was efficient. I thought he looked rude. he is dancing and I know this has always been a critique of Saquon. He is just dancing behind the line of scrimmage. He is unbelievable. He is so much more indecisive than he was in in previous years. He
0: does not look good to me. I'd agree with you. My my eyes agreed with you, certainly. Um, you know, the next gen data actually had him at seconds average time behind the line of scrimmage, which Peyton Barber was the best this past weekend at 2.42. So Saquon Barkley was closer to being more efficient behind the line of scrimmage than not efficient. The efficiency metric actually didn't have him that bad. And his rushing yards over expected per attempt was above average this past week. So his yards before contact is also like less than 1.5 yards. So, you know, while I will that's the that's the stats right my eyes are still saying that he's not efficient and the fact that he went 12 carries for 16 yards not counting the one carry for 44 yards that's unacceptable can't have that
1: yeah the offensive line has not been great in the run blocking but it hasn't been that bad um he has not looked good to me it, it's um it's kind of worrisome but again yeah. it's i don't want to panic over the first you know he had two games in and, and four days so Or or five days, so you know we uh you know all it takes is one good game and it's like okay Saquon's back. He did look more athletic, like he he looked like he trusted himself more this past week than he did uh than week one though. So I think that so maybe week three it's when it comes together. So
0: also can we throw him the can we throw him the ball please?
1: He has three catches for like
0: fourteen yards.
1: I will give Garrett credit. The one remember the throw that Jones almost threw an interception versus Denver. That was a really well placed. Uh, really well drawn up play to get Saquon the ball and just the safety kind of just read Jones' eyes and he almost threw an interception. But besides that, yeah, they have not involved him in the receiving game besides like a screen or a uh, check down at all. At yeah. all. And at it's all. also
0: on Jones. It's it's also it is but also on it's Jones. It's also not
1: on Jones because they're not using him as like I'm not talking about getting to him to the check downs quicker. It's like they line them out wide and like put him on a slant. Like yeah. why is why don't we do that? I don't like. Why does Saquon Barkley never get to run a
0: slant? You know, why is it always you know a, a little backfield out? Yeah, and also why is it always that Saquon Barkley and our running backs start as receivers, but then we motion them in as running backs? Why can't we do the opposite? Because then, I mean, that's that's such a that's such a tell as to what coverage. Uh, a defense could be playing. And when you take a running back from the backfield, the motion mount is a wide receiver. Does a linebacker follow him? Does a safety come? You know, that that could be such a tell for Daniel Jones pre-snap. But why would we make things easier on Daniel Jones? Um, all right, next uh, question. Next two questions. These are paired together. Ron Swanson at Ronnie Swanson 69. Why are the media some clowns? Great question. And then Brian Porras at B Porras 1. Isn't it time to put Tony in the slot for some plays and have him as the primary read to use his speed?
1: Some plays, but, like, I wouldn't want him, like... Shepard's doing a good job. Um, Do you want to talk about on-field
0: or off-field with Tony first? Off-field. Because that, that paints a better picture as to maybe what's going on on the field, which is nothing. I, it's... I don't know.
1: I'm worried... I, I I worried... I, I'm worried about him. He needs a friend on this team, is what I feel like. I feel like he needs a friend on this team.
0: Yeah. Um. How how can you not think at this point that something may or may not be happening? How, how can well, you not think that the,
1: he's he's literally like you know the story that Rosenblatt wrote was was accurate that he is frustrated with the Giants and I get that, but it's like you now you're it's being voiced through you know whoever to the media. Um. I don't know. It's just. It's, it it hasn't been a very bad start, you know, and now it's trickling into the season. Um. So I guess until there's something substantive, you know, happens, it's – um. that's all we can go with. The some yeah. clowns thing was kind of funny. And I do think it's funny the media being like, that's not a very good idea. It's like, well, so you're saying that you're going to write bad stuff about him because he doesn't, you know, kiss your ass? It's, it's, it's very
0: basically. mob mentality-like, and it's, kind, it's yeah. kind of childish.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the media was acting childish, but – um. You know, they can be childish where we want Tony to not be as childish. Um, but at the same time, the way they're using him on the field, I would be frustrated too if I was him. They played him for 19 reps, which I'm not going to be mad with the use, like the total amount of reps he plays, which 19 if, – if you told me he plays 19 reps, I'm like, two thumbs up. Cool. Nine of them were run plays. Oh. So, no, you know, nose usage. Five of them were curl routes. Which, for a guy who's a timing receive, not a timing receiver, and, and you, a, a route that you need a ton of timing for, it's kind of useless. You know, the curls are still there, and then he had two clear out goes, which is, you know, he's not really, he's not an option unless he's just uncovered. You know, he's just clearing out, which you know that's fine. And there was a dig, which was, it was I like that. Jones didn't get to him, but I like that. And then they use him on one drag route. And they had Shepard on a crosser and it led to that Shepard 19 yard catch. And if the linebacker sagged with Shepard, Tony would have, like Tony could have had a catch on that play even and gotten yak. That's the way to use him. Don't use him the way you use Sterling. Like the way they, like if they, if you ask him to do what Sterling Shepard does right now, it would be a disaster because Jones and Shepard are on another level right now. They know when exactly a guy's breaking Jones is anticipating throws. Like they are making some tough ass throws and catches to each other. Um, with Tony, put him on a drag. Put him on a crosser. Put him through progressions. But it's like, it's like if you're going to use him for 19 reps, use him. Like, they just didn't use him. Like, the one time they used him, like, in a way that you would want to use him, it was a 19-yard catch for Sterling Shepard. Like, Kadarius Tony throughout led to a 19-yard catch for Sterling Shepard.
0: I, I don't know what's going on. I, I don't know what's going on. Because uh, part- they did the exact opposite of
1: last week. Week one, it's like we, when he's on the field, he is getting the ball, and then the opposite week, it's like, all right, he's on the field, but he has no involvement of, of what the offense is, how it's progressing.
0: Yeah. Same thing with Galladay. You hope it just changes. You hope that it's a you know it's a summer of not being used, a summer of not playing, still learning the playbook, still getting things down, and that that's the only hope. Where it's it's so crazy how. You know Galladay, it's still like a you know Gall Galladay actually have hope that it, that it can work. I mean work Galladay's
1: is averaging almost sixty yards per game. Like right. that's, if that's a da- if that's down, then I feel good about it. If that's right. his down part,
0: right? But you know, but same, it's the same thing with Saquon too, where it's like oh well, you know we have to kind of I'd say two more weeks. We kind of have to wait to have like a, a necessary conversation. And it's the same thing with Tony. It's like we gotta we gotta still wait to see how kind of things develop because same thing with Saquon. If Tony has a big play touchdown, then it's like oh well we're all right. We're cool. And he can like, that's the yeah. thing is like, he can, but they're not like, letting him. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so it's just, it's like use him and don't like, it, it doesn't have to be all or nothing, you know? So it's, it's like, it's like, they he wasn't even like an, an effective distraction. Like it's, I guess if they want, if you're just talking about them accounting for him being on the field, he's a distraction, but like what he was doing, wasn't being used that way. So actually use him, get him involved, you know, and not just like manufacturer touches. Have him in, you know, second in a progression on a play, not yeah. fifth, and and uh, and 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 make him ha- like you know, use it. He was drafted twentieth overall for a reason. I, I refuse to believe that this Giants team that had w- expectations to win now, that desperately needed edge, drafted Kadarius Tony to store him for a year. I just don't believe that. They may, now maybe that's what you think should happen, but the Giants did not draft him twentieth overall to not play him this year.
0: No. You don't, you don't do that for any first-round pick. Really? <laughs> yeah. So. You shouldn't. Uh, Bobby, why don't you uh, – I'm pulling to you this episode. Why don't I you read Actually, the last hold on stat. a second. Hold on a second. A simple oh. game oh, of
1: matching answers to trivia <laughs> questions. What am, what am I talking about, guys? I'm talking about the match five trivia game. I got five on it. You know, the five gum. like you got five comes with 320 ca- uh, game cards with many different topics, so it's fun for anyone and everyone. You don't even have to be smart. You could be a dummy and play this game, honestly. So it's like 5% of our audience is probably dumb, right, Justin? I'm one of those
0: 5%.
1: Yeah, so like I think 5% of our audience is dumb, and sometimes it's like, you know what? This ad reads probably not for you. This one is for you. Some of the cards have sports-oriented questions, like name the best five pitchers of all time or name the five best wide receivers of, of all time. This game creates fun discuss- discussions and friendly disagreements. Or unfriendly disagreements if you're like that type of family. Yeah. It only takes three to play and there is no limit. Save 50% off your order now when you use the coupon code JOHNBOY. Get your copy of Match 5 Trivia, a game, by going to Match5Trivia.com and it's Match, the number 5, then Trivia.com and save 15% uh, by entering code JOHNBOY. Alright, let's, let's finish this mailbag up.
0: Yeah, let's finish it up. All right, so second-to-last question. Coming from Brian Walsh at B Walsh 6 How much longer until we see Quincy Roche in the pass rush rotation? I mean, here was the inactives from last week. It was Evan Ingram, Colin Johnson, Josh Jackson, Sam Beal. Why are we only running with, like, three outside corners? Justin Hilliard, Cam Brown, Quincy Roche. Um, why is Cullen Gillespie activated when Nate Ebner is on the team? They both play a ton of special teams, like they're using both of them. You know, um, when Cam Brown comes back, if Cam Brown comes back, which can't believe we're talking special teams again, if Cam Brown comes back, Colin yeah. Gillespie should be inactive, and then they should activate Quincy Roche. Um,
1: I think Roche, Johnson, and Hilliard are part of just like they were brand new to the team. You know, um, but here's what I'll say is now because you remember we did that segment in the offseason like making the case for every outside linebacker to you know start. Yes. It seems like they've all made the case for them not to play. Like Afedio Denbow's gone. <laughs> Ocean Zeminis has been a zero. Um Azeez has been the the best out of all of them, but it's like, you know, there's been it's, you know, he hasn't like been uh like a consistent player. Lorenzo Carter has really added nothing as a pass rusher. He's had some good plays in the run. Um and then I mean, who, uh, you know, Carter Coughlin got moved to inside linebacker. Maybe even Carter Coughlin should be in the rotation. So yeah, I would give Roche yeah. I probably I would give Rocher the opportunity to take O'Shane Zeman as a snaps.
0: I agree. I agree. And possibly, if Carter Coughlin's only going to play like four or five snaps as an interior linebacker, then he should be playing more snaps as an edge rusher.
1: Yeah. He's just that small. Goes saying. Um, oh, well, but if Carter Coughlin never switched to inside linebacker, would you be calling for him to play?
0: If we I'm, had zero edge production, then Maybe. Like we have zero edge production right now.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. All right, next question.
0: Mark Reynolds, final one. I believe this is the final one. Yes. Mark Reynolds at R underscore Ennolds. If gentleman makes one trade for another piece before the deadline, what position would you hope it would be?
1: This is a pretty easy question, right? Guard? Another guard? <laughs> another guard interior offensive lineman? Guard or edge. Yeah, edge. Edge. If we were like, yeah, that's actually edge. Because you could see a good edge rush. I mean, like a Marcus Golden type. Honestly.
0: we should trade for Marcus Golden. I mean, he's buried. He, he's kind of the third guy on that depth chart between Chandler Jones and Hassan Reddick. I think is still there, right? Yeah. So yeah, Marcus Golden's third on that depth chart. He deserves some more snaps. Maybe he should be a giant, Bobby Skinner. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> well, um. Marcus Golden would hate. I, I have a. I have a feeling. I have a feeling. I. I from. I didn't hear anything, but I have a feeling that Marcus Golden would hate if that happened.
1: Well, yeah, of course it was the team that didn't play him, and he got yeah that that wouldn't happen. The team happen.
0: that didn't pay him, didn't play him, and then traded him.
1: Yeah, yeah, that that I mean that just would never happen. Um, you know, we, we, yeah, yeah, edge. If there was an edge out there, yeah, that would be it. It's like if we're trying to actually make the playoffs, if we're trying to just survive, guard. Fair. Fair. All right, that's the show. We'll be back on Friday for our preview of the Falcons game. Go Falcons. Ooh. My my high school uh, mascot was the Falcons. How about that?
0: I have a question. We have some time. We're not running very long. Um, You said that if the New York football giants lost their football game on Thursday night, that you would be retiring 77 to nothing. Are you going to pull a Justin Pennick with Curtis Riley milk challenge and not follow through with that?
1: I mean, I'm going to do it on the podcast. I might just not. I might stop. I might. I said I'd retire the tweet. I think I'm going to retire the tweet.
0: Okay. All right. So you're being very lawyer like right now. Okay. Got well, it. that
1: was what I meant. And like, I was, you know, like, I think I'm going to retire the tweet.
0: Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Because people on Twitter are stupid. Yeah.
1: Well, you know how it is. It's like with Joe Judge. It's like we've lost two games, and it's like. It went from like I really love the way this guy talks and explains things to now it's like I hope he dies. Like I, I hate everything he says. Every word makes me irritated, and that's what kind of what happens with seventy-seven zero. When it's like, all right, dude, we keep on losing. I'm tired of this tweet. I mean, I thought they were gonna win. That's why I put it on the line because I thought yeah. they were going to win. I thought they, they were didn't. gonna win too. They let me down. So
0: they did technically win, but they also lost. And I always get my one. I <laughs> one. It's one of the stupidest comments I've ever seen. Yeah, that didn't make any sense.
1: (laughs) There's a one time a year I get a 2-0 prediction. It's just it's just every year there's one week where I'm just extremely down on the team. And that might be week four if we lose to the Falcons. So don't lose to the Falcons. We appreciate you guys. We'll be back on Friday with our Falcons preview. We appreciate you. We'll see you then. And until then, let's go big blue.